0: Hello, and welcome to Clout, a podcast profiling Australia's future leaders in Asia. I'm Brodie Burns-Williamson. And I'm Lucy Du. Thanks for joining us. So each week we talk to Aussies making an impact in their community to learn about the dash of language, the pinch of culture, and the blind luck that led them to where they are today. We ask our guests to take us on their journey to Asia capability by sharing with us their choice of food, song, show, and person to help us understand what being an Aussie with clout is all about. My guest today is Joanne Warren, a long-term Aussie expat in Asia, calling Kyoto, Beijing, and Shanghai her second, third, and fourth homes. Originally from Melbourne, Joanne's 20 plus years in Asia started with launching her own major sports events business in Japan, later working for the Australian Embassy and its cultural affairs department in Beijing in the 90s, and then joining EY in Shanghai in 2007. Joanne is currently leading EY's global marketing for family businesses, having previously led marketing across Asia-Pacific for high-growth companies and was selected to head up the newly formed business group to Australia, New Zealand, China business group. I met Joanne in Shanghai in 2015, where we connected via the Australian business community at the time. But I think what really connected Joanne and I, I think, was our mutual passion for empowering women in business and female leadership. Through the Australian Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai, AusCham. Joanne and I were invited to be the founding members of the OzCham Women in Business Committee. Joanne launched EY's Asia-Pacific Winning Women Program for Women Entrepreneurs in EY, and at the Australian Consulate at the time, I led planning for the Australian government's International Women's Day Program across our consulates in Guangzhou, Chengdu, and Shanghai. And so as a result of that, we worked incredibly close together, both professionally and extracurricular through OzCham. Today, we asked Joanne to take us on her journey to Asia capability by nominating a food a song, a TV show, and person that help us understand what being Aussie with clout is all about. Welcome, Joanne. Thanks, Lucy. Before we get to all that, tell us about why, how you first decided to venture into Asia all those years ago.
1: That's a really tough question and I'll do my best to answer. So when I was, you know, going through secondary school, Asian languages weren't taught that much, Mm. but I always had a real interest in anything that was international. And I studied, and I think this was pretty typical, Italian or French a little bit and then Mm -hmm. Italian. So I ended up going to Italy pretty much immediately after secondary school finished And then came back and worked for a couple of years. And then I went to uni. Mm. Um, And in my final years, I I can't say there's a defining moment when Asia became much more interesting. But I ended up doing my post-grad in Asian studies Mm. after I finished my first degree. Yeah. And I studied, as part of post-grad, I studied Japanese for the first time. Mm. By that time, of course, (laughs) you know most secondary schools were teaching an asian language and so it was much more common so i can't give you the what exactly led me there but yeah, yeah. i think it starts with an interest in all things overseas
0: yeah and what was it that got you to japan was that the first asian nation that you had lived
1: that's right yeah, yeah. i had the opportunity after university to Well, I guess we, you know, we created the opportunity. Mm. There was a a friend of mine who at university also had been to Japan when she was much younger and we decided that we'd go overseas and work for a year. And so we basically, we went to Tokyo to start with. We found it quite difficult to find work Mm. and then we headed down to Kyoto where we through connections that I had, I was able to get some work teaching English classes. Mm,
0: fascinating. Yeah. All starts with that one moment. <laughs> it
1: does. It does. I, you know, it's really difficult just to recall exactly what led me where. <laughs>
0: mm, yeah, it's often like that. But you know, now you've <laughs> you've been in Asia for over 20 years. So it's incredible.
1: Yeah. I'd have to say after being in Asia and and in some ways I don't like to use that word Asia because Mm. the countries here in Asia are so different from country to country you know Japan is quite different Mm. you know from mainland China as is Hong Kong culturally quite different but one thing I would say you know why I've continued to remain here is I love the energy Mm. I love the activity And I call it organized chaos, Mm -hmm. which I really, really like. I love the vibrancy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely very unique. Well, let's start with your nomination of food. What have you nominated for us today?
1: What I've nominated today is Hot Pot, and it comes from a love of. Um, hot pot in Japan and mm. hot pot here in China. Mm. So in Japan it's called shabu shabu, mm-hmm. and in China it's hoguo And basically it's this central hot pot dish, which you know has like a steaming kind of hot broth mm. and. You basically have a whole range of different dishes from really thinly sliced meat through to, you know, mushrooms and, you know, vegetables and a whole range of things. But the big thing about it is everyone has the opportunity to dip their, whatever they want to eat, into Mm -hmm. that pot and pull it back out and then dip it into their own sauce and then eat it. Why do I think it's amazing? Mm -hmm. I... I think it's the most fun way to eat, particularly with a group or with your family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I One, it's delicious, but the other thing too is whenever I've taken it and made it or a version of it, I should say, in Australia, mm. everyone loves it. I kind of see it as the sort of equivalent of the Australian barbecue. Mm. Does that make That's sense? Put it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, everyone loves a barbecue in Australia because you're outside, you're hanging around the barbecue, you kind of walk out, you, you get your hamburgers or your sausage and walk, walk away. But it's the same kind of concept where people mm-hmm. come together and spend time. But like everyone enjoys it. There's not one single person that we've shared that with that hasn't, you know, walked away going, oh, I'd love to do that again. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. And My co-host, Brody, whose wife is from Sichuan and he lived in Chengdu for many years as well, also nominated Hot Pot as his food of choice. And it was very similar. um, And I I love how you've used a barbecue as a kind of comparison in Mm. in Australia to Hot Pot because so much of Hot Pot is about the people Mm. and being able to... Kind of share this activity together through uh, through the action of cooking your own food, which in itself is quite a, um, I guess you know, first principle nomadic experience. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: If there's that many hot pot restaurants, you know, Melbourne or Sydney, Mm. I'm, I'm not sure of that. That doesn't seem to have been as easy to find,
0: but I think it'd be a huge hit. Yes, and I know that you haven't been back in Melbourne <laughs> for probably a couple of years, um, just you know, due to you know certain global pandemics. But actually, in Melbourne, there's a lot of hot pot restaurants. I think oh, really? the next time you're back, you'll be very pleasantly surprised. I would say that, in particular, in Melbourne, in the CBD. There's probably a hot pot around every corner around Chinatown.
1: That's amazing. Well, I, I look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Because I, it, it's just
0: so, so much fun. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely something to look forward to when you return. Well, you know, a common theme when I do talk to my guests on this show, when they talk about their nominations to food, in particular, hot pot is that it's often followed by a round of karaoke or KTV. (laughs) And many of my guests, when I do ask them to nominate a song, generally nominate one that they would sing at karaoke. But I think today we're going to take it in a slightly different but still relevant direction and talk a little bit about the origins of karaoke itself and for you how it had an impact and influence on your Asia journey.
1: Yeah, thanks, Lucy. So I put karaoke down because, well, one, I'm not huge on singing and music and I really had to think about a response for this one. So if I think about my experience in Japan many years ago, Karaoke, as they say it in Japanese, comes from two words. So kara means empty and and oke means orchestra. And it, I'm sure there are are around the world many people that might lay claim to a version of, you know, creating karaoke. Mm. But the one that I know best, at least from Japan, is this businessman by the name of Daisuke Inoue. Mm -hmm. And he's best known as the inventor of the karaoke machine, and he was a musician in his youth. And he, yeah, he in bar entertainment at the bars is a pretty big thing in Japan. Mm -hmm. And you know, he invented this machine as a as a means of allowing people to sing live without live backup. And it's such an integral part of entertainment. At every age group, Mm. you know, and I have to say when I first went along, I was hugely, hugely reluctant to participate and very happy just to watch everyone else sing. Yeah. You only last so long with that. that They're very insistent. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But I actually ended up singing Japanese songs and Mm. learning quite a few. Don't test me right now, but I I used to sing them. And it's, again, it's it's a little bit like um, the same reason I chose Hot Pot. Mm. It brings all these people together that are, they could be young, old, they could be, you know, very influential, they could be business people, they could mm. be, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really matter. It's almost, it's a community of people coming together and singing a mm. whole range of songs. And so I think it's, and it's everywhere, karaoke, particularly in Asia. I Mm. mean, in China here, they love it. It's huge. And there's a whole, you know, entertainment piece that goes around it. People play games. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's been one of those trends that has, you know, gathered momentum and gone beyond the country where it originated from. And so for that reason, I just think it's very influential in bringing Asia, Japan, China to the rest of the world. Mm. Like there's a very strong association. When you think of karaoke, you think of at least, you know, Japanese culture. And mm. they sing Western songs, you know. There's or I mean, unfortunately when we were there, it was always, you know, very dramatic Kind of 1950s sort of songs that we had to sing in English, which I didn't even know in English, let alone yeah. uh, in, you know, <laughs> and they'd be looking at me, you know, with, oh, you could sing the English songs. I'm like, I don't need, these are my mother's generation. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sure it's changed a lot since then, but it's a lot of fun and it brings people together. So a little bit similar in a sense to the hot pot.
0: Absolutely. Which is why they often go hand in hand. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <totally. laughs> well, For your movie nomination, you have given us three Zhang Yimou classics, Mm. Shanghai Triad with Gong Li, The Road Home with Zhang Ziyi and The House of Flying Daggers with Zhang Ziyi as well. And Mm. these three films have incredibly strong leading female roles and, of course, directed by acclaimed award-winning director Zhang Yimou. Can you tell us why you chose these films? So I
1: think Zhang Yimou is really, really important to bringing a view of China to the rest of the world that is very sophisticated, very sensitive. He deals with very old themes and in that sense, a lot of his movies are set in the past. But the way that he delivers this to the audience there is something very modern in the way that he tells the story. The first one that I really remember is Shanghai Triad. It's not his first actually, and mm. it's it's not the one that, you know, elevated him to start, and him and Gong Li, that's Red Sorghum. And I i actually only watched Red Sorghum years later, and I can see, even with that movie, how it skyrocketed, you know, both Zhang Mo and Gong Li's careers mm. onto a global stage. You know, the treatment, the use of colour, the use of silence, mm. You know, and the use of scenery to convey and the wind, he uses sound a lot. And Gong Li is truly mesmerising, you know. So that was Red Sorghum. But as I say, it's not the first one I watched. The one I actually saw was Shanghai Triad. And, you know, it's a kind of a classic story in a sense that you could find in perhaps in, in a Western genre as well, right?, It's set in the 1930s. It's about the triads. It's about the view of a young boy, um, Chui Sheng, who comes from the countryside Mm. and he's put at the service of, you know, the head of the triads, his mistress, and the mistress is Di you know, Gong Li. Mm. And it's about, from the outside, it's it's about basically a power struggle, you know, that's going on, Mm. you know. but. At the same time, it's about, you know, Bijou played by Gong Li who, you know, to everyone looking from the outside in, she's the queen, you know, she has everything that anyone would ever want. Mm. But we're also treated with this insight into how when the boss comes, she's midway in a song, there's a classic scene, you know, she's halfway through a song on stage which she likes and all of a sudden Everyone starts coming onto the stage behind her, Mm. and remove they let they leave because the boss is coming in, and his favorite song is a certain song, Mm -hmm. and whenever the boss comes in, that has to be paid, and you can see how angry that makes her. Right, that Mm. she's at the beck and call of the boss. Anyway, it, it goes through a whole range of different things, but it's really about power, and it's she tries to break free. Mm -hmm. You know, she's this, we learn later on that she's this young girl that was, you know, plucked from the countryside and has been raised and groomed and cultivated and, you know, eventually becomes the boss.
0: Mm.
1: And at the end of the movie, you know, we see her, you know, she obviously dies because it's found out that she tries to break away and have her own life and Mm. the boss won't allow that. And at the end of the movie, we see her being, you know, she dies, but there's a little girl who probably is gone 30 years before being shipped away with the boss. Mm. And she says, I just want to be just like Bijou, you know, and you see this cycle or just about to start all over again mm. this young girl is, you know, black. And it's, so it's about powerlessness. It's about women and how they couldn't break free. Mm. Um, it's just a really interesting insight into a time in history, you know, where mm. people just didn't have control over their lives, let alone women. Mm-hmm. It was an exciting movie. It was, there's a lot of tension. Gong Li is superb. She has the main role. She's really important to it. And then the other one is The House of Flying Daggers mm-hmm. with Jan Ji. and, you know, she's blind in this one. The dance is phenomenal, you know, just the use of the Chinese instruments when she does this dance and the clothing, I don't even know how to explain it, but the clothing that she's wearing, she uses as like the drum, you know, to hit the drums and make the sounds, fabulous. Mm. So I just think these movies with these actresses in particular who they're not just like huge in China, they are huge internationally, that mm. they stand shoulder to shoulder with any global international actress, you know, in their own right. And so does Zhang um, Yimou. He is amazing in his own country, but he's also recognised internationally just for the contribution he's made to this genre. I mean, he's directed the opening ceremony, of the Beijing Summer Olympics, and in mm-hmm. 2008 and you and I both watched that yeah it was fabulous right yes I mean that was amazing and then he's just done you know the more recent 2022 Olympics as well so he's just phenomenal just phenomenal
0: yeah yeah we'll definitely add the movies to our show notes and perhaps we'll take a listen to some of the snippets of the scenes that Joanne just mentioned as well. Perfect. And finally, who have you nominated? for us today as a person you consider to have great clout? When
1: I went to Japan as, you know, in my early 20s, I feel that I don't think I really had a very great understanding of Japanese culture and I was quite uninformed. Mm. I had a view which was you know, it comes through a view of being in Australia and that's fairly narrow. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when I went there, I, I, I was really fortunate. I, I had a lot of people that I met who I was, you know, ostensibly doing English conversation class with who really taught me a lot, mm. influenced me a lot, educated me a lot. And one of those groups, they were an elderly citizen class. When I say elderly, the ages ranged from mid-50s through to, I think my eldest was about 75. Mm -hmm. They were, they came from amazing backgrounds. Um, So they were a pretty affluent group. They were highly educated. They had a very long history and had been and seen much of the change in Japan. So, you know, the eldest one I can remember, he actually was a business person working for a very famous Japanese company, and he used to travel extensively throughout Asia. So he was quite cosmopolitan, quite, you know, had a lot of exposure. But equally, you know, many of the others had very different backgrounds. Now, one of the things that I asked them to do, and we sort of rotated through the group, is I mean, they they spoke very good English. They would give a one to two minute presentation, any topic that they mm. wanted at the beginning of the class. And the topics they came up with were fantastic. And through what they selected and how they presented and the stories they brought, I really came to learn mm. a lot. And and I'm I'm immensely grateful, actually. Mm. One I can think of which I was just sort of enlightening. So one of them talked about as children it was difficult sometimes to have continual electricity Mm. so light, you know. So they used to collect these, you know, the dragonflies? Yes, yes. Yeah, and apparently, because I've never actually seen one, but you put them in a dark room and they they light up the room. Wow. Mm. So they talked about capturing them and putting them in jars and bringing them back Mm. and just how they, you know, it was part of childhood and how... Like it just, it gave me a glimpse that, you know, these people didn't necessarily come out of extremely easy backgrounds and they had seen much over, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, the last century has been quite a challenging one Mm -hmm. every century is. But their willingness to share about their culture, immensely proud of their culture, I really learned a lot Mm -hmm. and, I would have to say that I'm much more interested and engaged in Asia, in all of the countries across Asia Pacific. Fascinating, fascinating. And and even now today, I'm very fortunate to have real interaction with people from South Korea, from Sri Lanka, from Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore. Mm. And I think it goes back to those early days where those people opened to me, opened my eyes to what I didn't know. Mm. So from that sense, I feel that they had a lot of clout.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really great way to round out our conversation today. I think, you know, listening and hearing what you shared, especially the people with clout, is that it really challenged what, we traditionally think what a person or someone with clout really means. I think naturally we often think someone with clout is someone who is very accomplished in their career or they're incredibly powerful or they have a large number of followers and are very influential. But in fact, often it's people who are making possibly a bigger impact than they could ever think to an individual or a few people. And I think what we want to show in our show is that clout is about impact, big or small. Mm. So for our podcast, we try and tell the stories of Australians and their journey in leveraging their Asian capability in building clout and making a unique impact in their community. So thank you very much, Joanne, for sharing your story and your journey with us today.
1: Pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me, Lucy. I feel quite privileged. Thank you.
0: Thank you.